And this time, it's like, have you guys ever had a question asked to you um, like this? If there is a God, why is there suffering and evil? How many here have had that happen? Probably most of you. That's probably the number one question from people who would be atheists, agnostics, or skeptics. And uh, they are doubting Christianity and who God is. Um, that would be the excuse that they don't believe in God. That would be the number one excuse. So I ask is, what is the other alternative? How about us turning it on like this? If there is no God, then why is there still suffering? They're still, they've got a problem that they cannot answer. Only thing they can say is that everything is by accident. We live now and we die and then that's it. That's the best hope that they have. That's no hope. That's an I think despair. Um, I think because God exists, there is an answer for that question. And that is an age-old question. People should be asking that to themselves, but they should be asking about the fact of, why am I even here? You know? Why would I even think that there is a God? Anyway, they have no solution. They're hopeless. And what we'll do is we'll get back to that answer, hopefully, at the end of the message. So hang on. In the meantime, we're going to address us as Christians. Christians do have suffering, and we've all experienced it. Uh, we have lives just like anybody else. If uh, unbelievers suffer, so do Christians. We can't get out of that. But there is a huge difference, and it's in the way that we respond to the sufferings that go on in this world. How does this kind of response strengthen and give us confidence well, you know, actually, it, uh, you know, to a true convert, it is something that says, hey, this is real. God says that this happens. And this is part of life. Um, we have evidence of our salvation because of that, in the way that we respond to the things that are not favorable to us in our lives. Faith that has been given to us enables us to face any kind of trial, any kind of trouble, any kind of disaster because of the faith that has been given to us. That's great for Christians, isn't it? Uh, it's interesting that as we look at today's text, it will be addressing that in verses 3 through 5 of uh, chapter 5. And I think the fact is that Christians are allowed to undergo sufferings. And we will see that there is there are plenty of reasons that it is for the Christian, and I'm sure that you can think of some right now, uh, but this is an extremely important subject. 
And it has been said, uh, I followed one writer in it, and I said, you know, that's probably true. He said, there's more space given in the New Testament to suffering and like-minded thoughts than any other problem, or any other uh, situation, circumstance. There's no theme that is dealt with more frequently than this kind of, uh, I guess you could say, suffering. I've got... Uh, the title is Don't Waste Your Suffering. And that implies that there's something there that can be good out of it. How Christians are to react, to respond to suffering. And so that's what we're going to be dealing with today. Let's uh, read that text. It's a short one today, 3 through 5 of Romans 5. And it says, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's pray. Father, You uh, address many, many teachings, many doctrines through Your Word and how much of a practical one we have today. As we look for the great glory to come, yet at the same time, practically, we still live in this world. And we live by faith. And it's not by sight. We trust in You. You have justified us because of that. And so another benefit is that You give us this, as strange as it may seem, You give us these tribulations. And as we look at it today, may we further know Your character and why You would do such a thing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Yeah, we all know about these things. Every one of us has been touched by tribulations. And uh, as we start in verse 3, he's coming off of where we left off last week. Obviously, the Bible just uh, is constant. Whatever it's saying, it will continue on. And uh, it just doesn't go directly into another subject, leave you hanging. Uh, it's like, okay, well that's the future and everything, and it's great, it's bright, what a hope we have. Bright hopes for tomorrow, right? But yet, what about today in the day that I live? What about my life, God? Well, it says this in verse 3, after he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Right at the end of verse 2, he says, verse 3, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. A strange statement. He says, and not only this, not only this glory, I mean, for me, just leave it with that. That's great. I don't like to talk about suffering. But it's there. So I must pay attention to what he has to say about this. I've got something to learn here. Uh, rejoicing is not only for the future, but he says it's for now. Uh, we rejoice in the hope of glory, but we also, in the meantime, 
rejoice in the fact that there are tribulations, there are sufferings. And that sounds so odd, or, you know, there's different ways to do it, but how do we respond to this? And what does God do while He's doing this kind of tribulation? We're not in despair, are we? We're never in despair. Uh, we can think that way, but we also have a different way of thinking. And we need to always go to the truth when we start having disparity thoughts. And uh, so it's, it's right here in, in our text. Uh, we understand that God has set forth these kind of things to be in our lives because the next word says knowing. Isn't that interesting? Here's how we can exult in our tribulations. He starts off with the fact that we know God. We know this. We know what is to come in the very next few verses. Here are some good things that come out of this, he's saying, but he's saying we can know this. We should know this. Because we understand that tribulation contributes to perseverance, and perseverance contributes to having proven character. And proven character enlarges our hope. Everybody, every Christian has hope. But did you know your hope can become bigger and bigger or more real to you? It's the same hope. It's the same faith, but we realize that. We understand it. So we realize that Christians rejoicing... Rejoice in suffering because they know about it and they know God. And if God is that sovereign and He's that big, He's got this under control. He can say, well, maybe He doesn't really care about that little thing about my own life. Yeah, He does. He designed it. He did that. We have knowledge of God. We have insight into these things and it's called insight into God's purpose. We actually have insight into seeing the very purpose of God. We can go right in here now. You know, when, when somebody talks about suffering, why is there suffering? Why is there evil? Why would God allow that? We don't have the total answer to that. But we can't leave it at that because we do have the answers. And I think we have uh, pretty well most of the answer to it. There's other things that go on that are, of course, mysterious and we don't understand, you know, why me? But, uh, you know, when you start to know God and His sovereignty, all of a sudden you see things in a lot different way than you ever saw before, even in your Christian lives. Uh, he's given us insight into, into His methods of how He deals with Christians in this sinful world. He has a, he's got a way to do it. So, it's in respect to us, to each of us sitting out here today, he has a message to you. And your own thing that you go through, He has a way of doing it. Um, what I want to do is look at some other verses, since I said there's kind of like a plethora of verses that deal with this subject. And uh, if I were picking and choosing, I wouldn't pick this subject. I would stay on the glory of God forever, right? But it's all associated with the glory of God. This is about the glory of God. It's just that we go through it now and it's not the ultimate end of it all. Thank the Lord. 
Uh, I have it on your outlines, and I got the verses all out of whack and out of order, and I'm going to kind of do them in order that will go from Matthew and then all the way back to First Peter. Uh, what's the first one I need to start with? I think Matthew 13:21 would be a good place to start. These are just a few verses, because if I read them all, we'd be here till way afternoon just reading the verses that deal with uh, our text today. Matthew 13 and verse uh, 21, I believe, in that area. I'm still turning. And I'm still turning, so you're, you're good. Alright. I'll start at verse 20. The one whose seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. That seed, it's only temporary. And when, look at this, affliction or persecution arises because of the Word, because of the Gospel, because of God, immediately he falls away. You see, if you're not built up, you don't have proven character and none of that, you, you just receive it. How many times have you seen people who say they become a Christian and for the first few weeks, man, they are really, really on fire. They're more on fire than anybody else in the church. They're excited, you know. And the weeks go by, the months go by, the joy that they had uh, is not there. And all of a sudden, it gets to a point where you don't see them around anymore. What happened? Well, there are probably many things that could happen. I don't have the answer for a particular person. But for one who is representing this seed here that fell into the ground, it's ones who look like they're believers at first, but whenever the pressure comes, they're out of here. They take off. They're really not real. They are not true Christians. And they show it by how they do. They do not persevere. Christians will persevere. Some better than others, but all Christians will persevere when it's all said and done. Well, that's a pretty good one right there, isn't it? It's practical. It's a parable, and it's told by Jesus, and he makes it simple. Uh, the second one, we'll turn to John, still in the Gospels. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, says Jesus, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation while you're having peace. You will. He guarantees it. Jesus said this. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Are you encouraged by that? So you don't turn around and say, what's this? I thought when you became a Christian at that moment, everything is going to work out. It's going to be perfect from here on out because now I confess Christ. No, he says, here, right here, you're going to have tribulation. Oh, yeah. That's that's for it. Jesus said that. He said that. Turn to Acts right after John. Chapter 5, verse 41. You have the apostles here in the very early days of the church. 
and they're on trial again. You know, it's like uh, they're trying to throw them in the slammer and they punish them. It says in verse 40, they took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. Well, these are apostles, right? This is going to happen, right? So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. There we go. And you notice, here's the result. Every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So there you go. Uh, they just said, we're going to obey God rather than men. They kept proclaiming the gospel, and that's exactly what one is supposed to do. Uh, they were flogged. That means they took 39 stripes, and that was painful. Very painful. I would call that a little bit of tribulation, wouldn't you? But, you notice the rejoicing that came out of it. Chapter 14 of Acts, verse 22. And uh, here's a strengthening as uh, Paul is one of them that goes around to uh, different churches that had been established to encourage them as he came back and visited them. And I think we are in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, many trials, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That is saying, until we get into the kingdom of kingdom, that glory that we're looking for, here's what's going to happen. And yet he's strengthening them and he is encouraging them, isn't he? Uh, let's move on to, I do believe, that was the Acts passage, Acts 14, right? Mm -hmm. So the fifth one is 2 Corinthians 4.17. Oh, uh, Penny already knows what this one is. You claim this one, don't you? You betcha. I like verse 16 first. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, this is our body right here, the physical man, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And here we go. For momentary light affliction is producing for us... Who wrote this? Paul did... <laughs> You know about the momentary light affliction that he had, right? Afflictions. Momentary. momentary. Yeah. Light. What's it doing? It's producing for us an eternal weight. It's pointing to eternal things. The eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. And here we go. While we look not at the things which are seen, right here in this life, but at the things which are not seen, which is 
That's our faith looking at Christ and the glory to come. For the things which seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Boy, that's a promise, isn't it? Isn't that great? Boy, you can rejoice in that, can't you? Okay, how about number the sixth one that we're going to deal with here? That'd be First Thessalonians three three. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Ooh, have you ever seen that before? Did you know you are destined for those afflictions that you go through? I don't know if I would tell somebody who's really going through a really tough time to say, yeah, God meant this for you, specifically. That may not be real comforting at that time. But, yet, at the same time, when you know these things, you can say, yeah, God is really in control of my life, isn't He? That's right. That's why He's the King. We're not. So, that one is quite revealing to us, isn't it? Uh, Was that the sixth one? The seventh one is found in James. James 1. James just happens to be just before 1 Peter or after Hebrews. And we look at verse 2. 2 through 4 probably here is what we want. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, many kind, different kinds knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's taking us to the point that he is developing a perfection that is to come, a final glory. That is where we have been done. He is strengthening in us. And that is the idea. This is all a good thing. He says it produces endurance. And this is all coming from God, huh? Isn't that interesting? Well, turn to... Do I have any more in James? Yes, I do. Verse 12, chapter 1. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Ah, that's good. Blessed are you who persevere under trial. Jesus said that also, the half-brother of James, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the ones who are persecuted. So we have that. Then we have to go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. 
But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. Wow! You would think that Peter would have already read Paul <laughs> in Romans 5. Did you notice how similar that is? That's really incredible. They were inspired by the same Holy Spirit. And Peter is really saying the same thing, only in different words. It's about the glory of God that is to come, that, you know, that should uh, inspire us on. But he, he says, hey, when, when your fiery ordeals come, don't be surprised. And as we take other texts, we can see that God ordained that, didn't He? Uh, it, it's not strange. This is normal. Uh, you're sharing the sufferings of Christ. Now that's incredible. So, well, that's not, uh, not uh, it's terrible suffering, but it's not that suffering that Christ did. Uh, ultimately at the cross, where he was crucified, died. The sufferings of Christ. See, he knows exactly what you go through when you go through another trial. He knows it. He feels it. He knows it. He, he uh, is uh, sympathetic. He's empathetic. He knows all about it. He's not a God who's far removed and says, I'm going to do this to them. Like that. And he goes, boy, I'm glad I don't have to feel that. He knows what it is. He knows all about it. He's the one. But you notice there, it's all leading to the glory of God. The revelation of His glory. That's what it's pointing to. That sounds just like Romans 5 where we already had left off with that fact. Now, okay, let's go back to our Romans 5 now. And he says, not only this, but we also exult, we joy, we rejoice, we glory in our tribulations. And what's the word for tribulations? Let's get into the definition now. I debated on whether putting this at the very first part here and then going down, or put it right here. And so I kept moving it up and down. I said, I'll put it right here. So if you're wondering, what is that word in the Greek? And I'm sure every one of you is asking that. Oh, I wish I had my Greek New Testament with me right now. I'd look that up. <laughs> Philipsis is the word. And say, I've heard that before. Well, we've said it. And if you haven't heard it, that's okay. It might be a reminder. Uh, here it is. It means this. To squeeze. To put pressure on. It has the idea of pressing down on something with great pressure. Okay. Good definition? Uh, well, that's just from different individuals that I've read in Greek New Testament. You have that word. It's like taking, um, let's say, the grain of Israel, the wheat, and you'd have a sledge, and it would thresh the grain. The sledge would press down upon the stalks and would break apart the heads to separate the chaff from the grain. And that's what they would do. That's extreme pressure to do that. I like this one. It is where you put pressure upon the olives. And you see, all the people in Israel, they knew what these words meant. Did they know about grain? You betcha. Did they know about olives? Yeah, yeah, olive trees all over Israel. How about grapes? Yeah, yeah, they know about that. That's their livelihoods. That's every day that they would deal with that and they would do this kind of pressure. 
Uh, Jesus was in uh, on the Mount of Olives, olive trees up there at Gethsemane. Did you know what Gethsemane means? To press down. It's the press because there was a press there to squeeze those olives and get out of there what needed to be gotten out. At extreme pressure. Or the grapes the same way. And of course there would be the stomping of the grapes on a floor and they would get out the grape juice out of that. Now do you get it? That's pretty good pressure, isn't it? They would know what flipsis meant. Um, now we know, right? Pressed down. Gethsemane is the very place where Christ was pressed. Do you remember whenever He was praying, Father, Father, you know, take this cup from me. You know, that He knew what was happening uh, in, in the next few hours as He was going to be put on trial and then crucified. The pressure was on him extremely at that point like he'd never experienced before. Gethsemane. Philipsis is what's going on there now. You could say, okay, hey, uh, we've read these passages where it says God brings upon these to His people. Everybody has suffering, whether they're Christians or not Christians. It's just that we're saying just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you escape the suffering. It's here while we're here. Well, I already read the passage where it says we exult in the glory that is to come, but it's like, okay, now, in the meantime, what about this suffering, God? And He says, hey, I'm in it for you. <laughs> that's the idea. Um, God has purposes. And that's what we say. You remember whenever we were read that one word in Romans 5 here? And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations knowing if you know God, if you know His purposes, it will help explain, not maybe the thorough way that you would like, but it will help explain what you're doing in, as you go through whatever this is at this time. And, uh, you know, God is so merciful and gracious in what He does. There are, I'm going to give four purposes. There probably could be more. Or we could do less, but here it is. It's the idea here of corrective suffering. That's the first one I'm going to put there. Corrective suffering means to put us back on the path of righteousness. Have you ever been walking on the path of righteousness and kind of strayed a little bit, like Pilgrim's Progress? And uh, we know that he had temptations to maybe go off the path and then he would get back to the work. But we know that we can get off that path and he corrects us if uh, he is our father. Good parents understand that children need teaching. They do not inherently have this thing about them to do everything right and perfect uh, because they're little sinners and we're big sinners. They still have the sin problem in them and we have a, one of the biggest jobs ever is to correct them. Discipline means to, to train. This is the idea of correcting. You know, um, they think they're free to do whatever they want to do. 
And we can follow them all around and let them do what they want and say, I don't know if you should do that. You know, we're afraid that, you know, they're going to get offended, which they will. And, and if they're getting ready to touch that stone and it's going to burn their finger, you say, and you might even slap that finger and say, no. And they go, you know, and they still do that. Or if you're not around, that's what they will do. And, uh, and somehow they got to learn. But if we tell them and we keep at it, it will develop a sense of right and wrong uh, practically. And as we tell them things about God, all of those things, line upon line, precept upon precept, they can get it. There's a foundation that can be established there. That's what good parents do because otherwise there will be painful consequences and the parents will regret it later. If they have any sense of goodness and love at all, we must practice uh, discipline. Uh, when they practice in wrongdoing and they persist in, in it, we must do something about it. And the Heavenly Father has spiritual children and that's us. And uh, we sometimes have to be corrected and disciplined. If he doesn't do that, then you're really not his. He does care about us. So the first thing that we need to do is whenever something comes upon us, maybe go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, if there's something in my life that's sinful right now, and I think I kind of know what it is, uh, Lord, I confess, I repent of that, and I want you to put me right back on the path of righteousness. It's not, just because you have suffering doesn't mean that you're sinning. Now, now get that point. I'm not making that on this first one. But it can be. And maybe we are getting uh, the, you know, attention from the Lord right now, uh, you know, and saying, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I know I need to get that corrected, Lord. And I want to do it. I want to do it right now. I, I repent. You know, we need to confess that and return to that, that path that's right. So there's a corrective suffering that you can go through that will remind you that, oh, there, there could be something here not right in my life. Secondly, there is a suffering because of the glory of God. We're talking about the purposes. Why God would it do this to His own people? He loves us. Why would He do this? Well, if you love your children, you will discipline them because you want the best person that they can be, don't you? And so you do it the best way that you know how. It's not perfect, but you're learning. You're learning how to be a parent. Okay, we got corrective. How about the glory of God? Another person's suffering may be an evidence of God's special favor upon people as they go through that because they have eyes on eternity and they can assume that kind of perspective. That's a good perspective. We can get this saying, well, maybe it's for the glory of God here. Some people tend to go through more heavier things than others. I feel for those. Uh, God has been really gentle to me. And He, he could change that on a whim too. But throughout my life, how gentle He's been where He had every right to get the whip out on me and give me the 39 lashes. But everybody's different. And there's special things that we could have that doesn't have anything to do with sin. But it's a way that God is working through a person to give glory. And I can immediately think of an automatic example. And that's Johnny Erickson Tata, 
who is the one I think everyone here knows about her. She was swimming as a teenager. I think she was a junior, I think in high school, junior or senior, and she dove into a pool and she went down to the bottom and hit herself on that bottom and uh, she became paralyzed for life, uh, quadriplegic, hands, feet, and she totally has to rely upon somebody to feed her. Almost everything that she does has to be done by somebody all of her life. She's in her 70s now, 70, 71, somewhere in that area, and what a witness Johnny has been to everyone that has heard of her. You've heard her speak, maybe in person. You've probably read her books or heard her where she's teaching on the radio. Uh, the most, One of the most sound... Christians that I know, her theology is incredible. Has she had times where she doubted God? Oh yeah, especially at first. Boy, did she ever. But God was teaching her, and whenever Johnny speaks, I listen. Has a lot to teach just in, through those things. So uh, I think of John chapter 9, verse 3. Now this is not Johnny. This is coming from the Apostle John. Uh, but there was a man that was born blind. Did you get that? He's blind. He can't see. He's born that way. He's always been that way. He's never known sight at all. What a horrible thing it is. It really is. And you got the disciples in verse 2 asking him, Rabbi, who, who sent this man or his parents that he'd be born blind? Who sent? Now what does that say to you? Well, their theology was, if you had something wrong with you, it's because you sinned. Jesus corrects that. He answered, it was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. And then, you know what he did? He healed the man and he was now able to see. That man was born blind. This is what Jesus said. I'm not putting on little interpretation. That man was born blind for this moment right here that the glory of God would be demonstrated, to be put on display. And just like that, as the man went through the procedure, he could see. The man born blind now sees. I once was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. Spiritually, that's what happens to us too. We were blind. We did not see Him. And He gave us sight. And well, that would be the glory of God. What would be another purpose of God? Why would He do these kind of things? Cosmic warfare. And said, well, that sounds like a movie or something. Well, it's the battle between... And it's not really a battle to God, but it's between Satan and God. You see, Satan can't match up with God. He's a created being. God made him. But there's an ongoing spiritual warfare, and we're all involved in it too. But the cosmic warfare is illustrated very good by the book of Job. Job was a righteous man, the most righteous man on earth. And Satan made an accusation that Job loved God only because God had blessed him. And boy, did he have blessings, didn't he? He was a rich man too. And he had a lot of children. God came in and 
let Satan, I say permitted, and really let's just go on a little bit further, he ordained that Satan do what he did. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but Satan in Job 1.11, uh, he says, hey, I'll tell you what, take everything from him, and he will curse you, God. And God said, okay. And God knew that that would not happen, and he would not let it happen, but he said, okay, go ahead. And, you know, that Job had a very, very good response to this. All the way through it, he shows his humanness, but through that it shows that he believed God. And he knew a lot of things. Uh, but in, in uh, Job chapter 1, right at the end of it, At verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. That means I had nothing. And naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. You can say, wait a minute, I thought Satan did that. Well, yeah, he did, but only because the sovereign God uh, allowed, permitted, or said, go do it. God is in total control. And if one would say, well, no, God didn't have to do that because He wouldn't do that. He, you know, Job just let down his defenses there. Well, it doesn't say that. We just read the passage and reading it right here. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. The Lord gives life. The Lord takes away life. Otherwise, how else do you explain it? Do you want to say that Satan is the one that kills people? That's why we're dying and otherwise we'd live forever in these sinful bodies? Um, no, God has the right time when He brings us into this life and He's already ordained when we will be taken out. That's deep. That's heavy. Well, it's about God. And we're learning more and more how deep and wide much does this go about God? Well, He's in absolute control. And if He's not, I'm scared to death. Because if Satan is almost equal with Him, I know who's going to win. But boy, it's a battle and Satan has given Him the, everything He can give Him. Well, He's given Him everything He's given, but believe me, God knows exactly what He's doing. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And for those people who say, well, see... Uh, uh, the defenses were let down by Job. No, it's, it's, the, every, all, this has already happened. And it said he did not sin. That's a horrible theology that says that. What it does, it makes God a lot lower than what He really is. And it blows the whole purpose of what Job is about. Look at the end of the book. We look at things so humanly sometimes, it's much bigger. Do you have uh, empathy? For Job? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't ever want to suffer in the way that he did. I don't ever want any suffering, honestly. Uh, but God is in control of that. And uh, Job explains a great deal of the suffering some Christians actually go through or they endure. God is showing the purpose of life lies in a right relationship to Him. And Job had a right relationship 
It's not about our pleasant circumstances. That's the way humans view how they're going through things and they're really down and it affects their emotions and we have emotions for that. Yeah, we are human and we do go through things and we, sometimes we really need to be encouraged. I like coming to church not only to worship God, but I like to be encouraged by His Word, by His people, and being like-minded. And it tell you what, it strengthens me for the rest of the week. It really does. And that's why I say it is so precious, isn't it? So, our third one is a cosmic warfare. Uh, the purpose is, is that God shows off His glory and we see that His story is coming true and will come true. And you look at the back of Job and you see it's not about Job and, and his suffering. It's about who God is. He says, Job, where were you whenever I created this, the behemoth and what have you? Go on and on and on. Where were you, Job? That's three purposes. There's a fourth one. It's called constructive suffering. God uses our troubles to actually form Christian character. He's doing it to you right now. I hope you've come a long way since you first became a Christian. Because God is shaping you for one thing. For heaven. You have to be shaped by these earthly challenges. <laughs> I can say that now. What we do now is we have a string of pearls that go on from this word, this tribulation, this suffering. We go back to Romans 5 and they just fall into place as we exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. I can rejoice in my sufferings. It's not that I go, oh wow, come on, bring it on Lord. I'm telling you, there's not one here that wants suffering, wants tribulation. If you do, you've got some kind of a problem. You don't want it. It is going to happen. God's going to control it and don't go around saying, hey, you know, I'll give glory to God, so bring it on, Lord. No, I don't even do that. Whatever you want to do, Lord, do it. Uh, and, and I'll trust in you. You will persevere. If you have tribulation, what will happen is that you will get a perseverance. Now, let's get a definition of that word real quick. I'm going to give you the Greek, and you go, oh, wow, that's pretty neat. Hupomone, and you say, what does it mean? And uh, hupo means to be under, and mone is dealing with to, uh, to live under uh, something. It, that hupomone is to live under something, to remain under. To continue on underneath something like difficult circumstances. How about that? So now, do you have the word perseverance? Now, your your translation might have something different. What do you have there, Audrey? On which one? Right after tribulation. Knowing that tribulation brings about the very last word of verse 3. Patience. Patience. Same thing. What's that? Endurance. Endurance. And that's what it is. It's, pa it, it's actually living, constancy, patiently enduring. Patiently enduring it. You're enduring it. It's not that you're going, this is great. I love it. 
So we're not crazy here when we say this. Now we go back to James 1, which we did turn to earlier. And now this, uh, verse 1, or verse 2, in chapter 1, really makes a lot of sense. Consider it all joy, and you're resting in this, the peace, and it's okay. God's doing His thing. My brethren, when you encounter various trials or tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, there's that word, endurance. The testing produces what? Endurance. Suffering produces endurance. You will patiently endure it as you go through it. It means to hold up under the pressure. Remember tribulation, philipsis is pressure. It's to hold up. It's to remain while you have that pressure. It's patient endurance. There, we used two different translations to describe what my translation says, perseverance. Let's go to the third one. Oh, you mean we can move on already? Yeah, these are going to go by pretty quick. Because it's 20 after. No. (laughs) Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, there we go, and perseverance, proven character. If you remain under and endure as you go through this, you will have a character that's been dakimazo. Has anybody ever heard that one before? We've used it many times. Dakimazo means passing a test. It is proof that you passed it. Now I'm going to ask you this. Do all of you know about tests? Put your hand up. (laughs) How many here, whenever you were in school, that's the kind of test I'm talking about now, liked those tests? Oh, look at this. We've got one guy out there that likes tests. Well, I do want to tell you that we are going to have a test after this today. And we will meet in the room. And I will see how much you like it. Are you looking forward to it now? Thank you. <laughs> oh, okay. What do you think, Zach? What do you think? We could give him a real test, couldn't we? Okay. No, that's good. That's good. I, I, you know, I have confidence in the fact I've got a feeling you're an A-plus student, and you're one of those guys that says, bring on the test, I'm ready. I know you are. It's smart, intelligent, you're moving right through it. And so, um, but the normal person... <laughs> we got another one back here. Oh, uh, the normal person doesn't like tests, right? Bradley back there says, I don't like tests. i got one tomorrow in science. <laughs> oh, you know, honestly, I'll be honest with you, and i, I got a feeling it's exactly what you were thinking. I hate this. I don't like these tests. I don't even know if I'm ready. I you know, you get kind of nervous about it. And last minute studying, that kind of thing. That's what I did. But the thing is... There was something designed for those tests. What if you'd never had any test? No pop quizzes or anything like that, which I hated, and I really wouldn't like it today either. But I know that didn't that prove something? It proved that what you had learned is there. 
and you were ready to move on. Kind of. <laughs> but you, you have another test coming up. I hate those things. <laughs> I don't like to take tests. Nobody does. Nobody likes those tests. But they show that you made it through. It proved that you made it, you passed, you were approved. Let's get another illustration of this. Since this is so real, uh, gold, silver. It has to go through fire to get all the stuff there that's not really real. There's fool's gold and there's a lot of stuff hanging on there that's not there, iron ore and what have you. But there could be real gold there, real silver, so you smelt it. You put the fire up so much that it will melt off and get rid of what is not true. And all you want is the pure gold, silver. That is dakimazo. That's proving what is there now is all true. This is the real thing. It means to put something to the test for the purpose of approving. So what you're doing, it's not, it's not to show how bad you are, but it's to show what is real. It's, about a, it's taking the flaws and removing it. The point is, is the way you prove or test your character is by submitting to a test. You show up to school, you take the test, you do it, and... After you're done with it, oh, you get a pretty high grade that you're surprised with. You go, oh, okay, it wasn't so bad. You know, you hold on to that. It proved that you did know some things. And you go, okay. Finals. Ooh. <laughs> anyway, the man who passes the test, he gives proof that he's a true Christian. It show, you know, Abraham and Isaac... Abraham's ready to sacrifice his son. Boy, that proved his faith that he had long time ago. It took years and it kept building and building. Boy, they were tough tests. But where he is really seen to be a true a believer, there is with Isaac. Um, Scientists or, or such people test steel because it's going to be built, uh, it's going to be used to build a bridge. Boy, don't you, aren't you thankful that they test that steel out and everything that they use for a bridge? Can it stand the stress? Can it stand that? Well, if you're a Christian, you'll be able to take the stress. No matter how weak you think you are, you can take it. You become out more purified and stronger than you ever were. You ask any athlete who trains. Anybody who's, a, whether they're in the Olympics, whether they're professional athletes, high school, college, they strengthen themselves daily with weights. They run. They exercise. They do things over and over and they keep at it. Christian, I'm telling you, if athletes do that for something that is just not going to last forever... It's temporal. What you're doing in your new man is exercising for eternity, and it does last. Is there anything wrong with exercising and doing that? Not at all. Training is a good thing. 
but don't ever put it over this kind of training here that is eternal. Number four. Okay, you have tribulation. What comes out of it? Perseverance. And what comes out of perseverance? Proven character. Dokimos. Dokimazo. By the way, in the Greek, there is a word that is negative that means no. It's ah. And so there's a word ah dokimazo. That means to be disqualified. Paul kept up his witness and his faith because he did not want to be disqualified from the race. Ah dokimazo. We want to be dokimazo, right? We want to be proven that we are true. And if you have that and you go through a test and it's proven to you and maybe other people around you, you have a hope that just gone up another level. Another level. Another test. Another level. Your hope becomes so real that nothing can rock you. Nothing. Nothing at all. What does hope mean? Total assurance. Knowing that it's genuine and it will happen. That kind of hope. So hope has become full circle to us now as we get to hope in verse 5. Hope does not disappoint. You remember at the end of verse 2 that we can exult in hope of the glory of God. I like to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope of the second coming. The glorious hope. The glorious second coming. The glorious return of Christ. Boy, what kind of hope is that? It's a great hope. So we started with hope because of, remember last week and weeks before, he says, having been justified by faith. Right? You remember that? We have peace. We have access. And then what do we have? We have hope of the glory of God. And now, it comes full circle to this hope as we're going for the glory of God, even right now, we have a tremendous hope that we know that's so real than ever before. When the trials come, they could lead us from a true hope. And we can start looking at the contradiction of it all. But really, all of these things, when you pass the test, they lead us right back to that word hope, of the glory of God. Uh, we pass through the furnace of affliction. That's really what God's doing to us. He puts us in the furnace, turns up the heat sometimes with the afflictions, then He turns it down. And then all of a sudden it's like we remember this glory of God and what this is all about and we become more certain than before. It's greater than before. That's why we can glory in these things. Look at Psalm 119, the longest psalm in all of the Bible. And 119 is about in the middle of the whole Bible. At least as far as the text is concerned. 
119, verse 71, I'm not going to read the whole Psalm 119 to get the text and the meaning uh, going up to this point. It's all about the Word of God. If you'll notice why I said that, it's because there are like 176 verses in that longest chapter in all of the Bible. Okay, we're just going to... You know, there was a guy who did that at a uh, preacher's conference. <laughs> and as he went through about 20 or 30 verses, one of the preachers, I don't know if it was Stephen Lawson or whatever, you know, and he kind of elbowed the guy that was right for him and said, he, he's going to do the whole song. <laughs> Evidently he did. <laughs> okay, 71, you ready? This really kind of sums up everything where we've been. It is good for me that I was afflicted. What? what? Can I read that over again? I, I must have heard that wrong. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Why? That I may learn your statutes. Are you kind of displeased where you're at in life? Has there been some things that just seem unfair to me and I compare myself with others or I get kind of down and say, you know, your Christian walk isn't what it used to be. Well, the right view of this, it's good. this is good for me. Why? That I may learn your statutes or law or word or God. This is how I learn who God is. I've gone through something nobody else is going through. God meant it for me that I would know Him. And folks, I'm just reading the text. The law, verse 72, of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Give me understanding. Well, how do we learn? Read the Word and then live it. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your Word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous. Now are you ready? (laughs) And that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Oh, may your loving kindness comfort me according to your Word to your servant. Did you see that? God is faithful. And that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Is it right to say God afflicts us? Yes, it is. Because the Bible says it is. He's the one. So I'd rather blame it on Satan. Well, God might be using secondary causes and He most often does. But it's still coming from God. Because if he doesn't want it to happen, how many times has he taken things away that could have harmed you and he just took them back and said, no, it's not for you. Hope. Boy, that I may learn you, God. And now we go back to our Romans 5.5 5 and, and we close out on this verse. Romans 5.5 5. And hope does not disappoint. You'll never be disappointed when you look at God. Okay, you look at your circumstances, you look at your job, 
You look at people around you. You look at this and this and this and this and this. And you can even look at this church. You can look at me. And we can disappoint you. But he says this kind of hope that God gives never disappoints. And see, that's having the right attitude because there's no use to be disappointed. Because God is using it for your good. Remember, we read that it was for our good. Hope doesn't disappointment disappoint. Well, how is that? Well, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. The good news, folks, this is all good news. This is gospel, isn't it? He pours the oil into our afflictions. The Holy Spirit has poured out His love. Hope has come full circle. And now we see at the point where the love of God is there, His hope is gushing forth. It's overflowing torrents of His love. We can never have enough of His love. It's always there. The Holy Spirit makes it abundantly certain to us that this is happening as we go through it. We are assured of the love of God. And you know, once you've gone through the test, you know what? You go, you know what? God taught me something there. It's not that I really enjoyed it, but you know what? I'm glad that He put me through that. I know Him in a way now that I never knew before. How many times have you guys heard that? Romans 8. Romans is the assurance chapter. You ever want to get assurance? Go to Romans 8. Read the whole thing. I'm telling you. We're just going to pick a few verses. Romans 8, verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Do you have the Holy Spirit? You say, well, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I hope you're not saying that. What you're saying is that well, look at what it says here. For all those who are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God. If you're not, if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you're not a son of God. And Romans eight has already said that. I, I, I got to move on. Though. Verse fifteen: For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Intimate, Abba, that's what that Greek means now. Verse 16, look at that. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Somebody say, uh, hey, how do you know you're a child of God? Well, I just know it. I've got a burning in the bosom. That's what the Mormons say. Well, actually, right here it says the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Bible says it. The Spirit of God says it. It's not because I have some kind of testimony from my own burning bosom and I feel it emotionally. No, it's because the Spirit of God has done that. And if we're children, we are heirs also. And He doesn't stop with that. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Oh, that sounds like where we have been. You have suffering, you have glory. That's part of the Christian life. Now look at verse 35. Romans 8.35 Who will separate us from the love that's the word because that's what we're finishing with today of Christ. Who's going to separate us from this love now? 
Can anybody do it? You say, nothing can. Satan can't do it. But I can. I can separate myself from him and lose my salvation. Oh, well, you don't know the Bible. You don't know God. You don't know. You do not know Romans 8. Because that's what it all is. If you're really a Christian, you can never be separated. Not even yourself can do that. Look at this. Well, tribulation, what does he start with? Will that separate us from the love of God? Of course not. Or distress. Or persecution. Or famine. Or nakedness. Or peril. Or sword. And so he quotes from the Old Testament, just as written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. That's Paul and the apostles. And they were persecuted and they even died for their testimony. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. Nike. That's what Nike means, to conquer. Overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, now look at this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, have we gone to good news or what? This is incredible. What a way to finish that chapter. Uh, read it, study it over when you get a chance. We need to lo- know the love of God that passes knowledge. Ephesians 3.19 You know, the more and more you know His love, the bigger your hope gets. The more you experience this. See, there's one thing about it getting theologically, and that's where it starts. You can't live it without getting it from here into the mind and then we live it. You can't live it without the Word of God. And to know that His love has been shed abroad. We're certain of that kind of love. And we're more and more certain every day. We don't merely believe in it and have to remind ourselves of this daily. We know it experientially. We have lived that. And that comes back and we know it because of the Word and because of our own experience. Because the Holy Spirit is bearing with our spirit that that be true. Suffering is not harmful. It's beneficial. It accomplishes the beneficent purposes of Almighty God. And it's part of those circumstances that work for the good for those who love Him. Romans 8.28 Now, just for a moment, and I said this, and I'm not going to take very long with it. Remember back at the very first, I asked this question. You guys have had this question asked. Well, if God exists, why is there suffering? You could tell them all the things about what you just read and we heard here today, right? That's for the Christian. The non-believer is not going to understand anything that you said and it's and ultimately it can be for them to drive them to Christ. And that happens, believe me. But, what about that original question? Why would God allow suffering? And we know that God actually allowed man to make a choice 
to know good or evil. God was saying you don't have to know evil is really what it amounted to. And Adam really wanted, and Eve wanted to know that other side as they were lied to by Satan. So they took that choice that they had. And as they took that choice, man immediately fell. It's now a fallen world. We have a fallen human race and everything in the world is affected by sin. Everything. And from here on out, man is going to be fallen. And with that comes evil and suffering. If you're an unbeliever, you don't believe in the Bible, you don't hear you don't believe this word in the beginning God created. If you can't believe that, then what is your alternative? We came from nothing. Nothing created. We came out of nothing. What part of that sentence is scientific? What part of that is intelligent? Nothing comes from nothing. There is nothing. It, something has to come out of a Creator. One that has been here, always been here. There's an intelligent design. We know this intelligent design. And you can say, okay, because of it, there is a God and He allows suffering, but God and Jesus Christ has a purpose in it and what God does is He takes a broken world and broken man and He can bring them back into the condition that He so desired. And so there is good news when we talk about the suffering and the evil. He certainly allows it. But what does the unbeliever do? If there's no God then, then you still have the problem, suffering. What's your answer to it? Well, we can all become better and leave this world and eventually it will become a world that's much better. Uh, we've never seen where it has gotten any better. And I think in our time, we've seen where it's gotten worse. How can they say that? Well, what do they have left? Well, what happens after you die? They don't know. A lot of them would say, I just annihilate. I, I, that's it for me and that's done. And so, What is your purpose here? You're just floating around. You come here with no purpose and you live for no purpose. And, what, and by the way, why are they even talking about evil and suffering? They don't believe in God. Why, why are they saying that there is evil and good then? If they're saying God is good and why would He allow bad then why is there bad? Why is there good? How do you even know? Why would you even think that there's something good? What is it? It's all just accident. Right? You didn't come here by any purpose at all and you'll leave here without any purpose. Matter of fact, why should you even believe you even exist? And that's what they finally get to is they go under the bed and start quoting the Greek alphabet. Uh, you know, it's it, it's like they finally say, maybe I'm not even here. This is not existing. Well, if God doesn't exist, then you don't exist. Right? No, that's not true. It's reality, isn't it? Here's the reality is, God suffered for us through the person of Christ. There is the suffering. 
And he did it through his son to die for our sin so that we would become righteous, as he declares us, and then we have all of this, um, and, and it's, we're justified by faith, and uh, we become his children. Aren't you glad you know that? It's either that or the other thing. Yeah, you're on your own, and uh, they don't know. They have no idea. It's all an accident. Actually, they finally arrive at this. It's an alien who created us. And you say, yeah, that's right. It was an alien. They can identify with it. There was a being. There was some intelligence much higher outside of this universe that got us here. And you say, you're right. I've got a name for him. And he's got good news for a broken world. And this is how he gets rid of the suffering ultimately as we look to that glory. There will be no more suffering, no more death, no more sorrow and all of that great stuff. That's why we have the answer and the rest of the world has no answer. Zippo, zero, do we have a lot to rejoice about? And that's what we have to give to these lost people saying they're here by accident. Father, great God, thank You for giving us Your truth. Even though it's hard to say sometimes by me, but thank You for the afflictions that You've given me and all of us in our lives because You've intended it. And by the way, You've been very gentle in all the way that You've done it. And by the way, after we're done with it, we go, that wasn't so bad. Matter of fact, thank You, Lord, because I wouldn't know You like I do now without that. Uh, at the same time, Lord, we have compassion upon people who are going through that. We know physically it hurts or mentally they're going through things. And we're there there just to give them encouraging scriptures, to give them your grace and uh, mercy if it need be. That's what we're intended to give them in your gospel and tell them a little bit more about who you are and less about our own circumstances because this world is going to burn up and so are those circumstances. In Jesus' name we proclaim Jesus Christ and all glory to Him. And the saints say, Amen.